Hey everyone, Bates here. In this season as One Hope, we are going to be gathering again together on Sundays in smaller groups around our town, mostly in person, but some people will also be zooming in. Each week, each group will be gathering around their weekly sermon as well as sharing communion together. And each group will have its own flavor. So the singing and the prayer and the kind of the hanging out times will look different in every group. And we really do feel like there's a group for everyone. Uh, so if you're a One Hope, I want to strongly encourage you, get plugged in and get stuck into one of these groups. And uh, let's be community. Let's do life together. Let's gather on Sundays together. Let's worship together. And let's grow in our journeys with Jesus together. Good morning, everyone. Um, welcome to everybody who's joining us from life groups who are meeting together in homes. Welcome to everyone who's joining us online. My name is Johannes, and this morning I'm going to continue with our series on prayer. We are in the fourth week of our series on prayer, and in the past three weeks, Paul preached some amazing sermons. So he's laid an amazing foundation, and I'm going to continue now on this series on prayer. When Paul asked me to preach a sermon on prayer, immediately I was a little bit um, uncertain about it. Um, I really felt I was praying, uh, preaching from a place of weakness because I don't consider myself to be the greatest prayer warrior. But fortunately, um, I'm preaching from the Word of God and God's Word is full of wisdom and insight into prayer. So this morning, we are, I'm going to preach from Romans chapter 8 on prayer. And we're going to start by just reading together a few verses from Romans chapter 8. So what I'd like you to do is to pause the video now, uh, wherever you're watching, and I'd like you to read together from Romans chapter 8, verse 26 to 28, which is going to come up on the screen now. And after you've read the verses together, I would like somebody in the group just to pray that God will illuminate and open the word to our hearts and that the Holy Spirit would challenge us and, and speak to us uh, as we go through um, this uh, passage in Romans chapter 8. Right, I'm going to start this um, sermon um, somewhere which, which might seem a bit odd. It might seem a strange place to start uh, when we talk, when, when we're preaching about prayer. Um, but I'm going to start here. We are weak and we do not know what to pray. Now that is not my opinion, that is not um, a theory, that is fact from the Word of God. We are weak and we do not know what to pray. Now for me personally, I find that actually really comforting to know that. I think many of you um, know the feeling that um, when you go to a prayer meeting, and you are a bit nervous because you are nervous that maybe you don't know what to pray, that you might not have the right words. Well, this is comforting because um, it tells me that when I go to a prayer meeting and I'm not sure what to pray and I don't quite know how to pray, well, I'm in good company because everybody else in the room is in the same boat. Um, the Bible tells us and Scripture tells us that we are weak and don't know how to pray. Uh, and equally, in my personal prayer life, I also find that comforting because often when I come to God and I'm grappling with a difficult situation and I don't know what the answers are, that's really comforting to know that I can come to God and say, God, I'm weak and I don't know what to pray. Um, that's really encouraging and comforting. But fortunately, God's word doesn't leave us there. That's not the end of the story. So what we read here in this text is that 
the Holy Spirit of God searches our hearts and prays to God the Father on our behalf. Now, that is really encouraging. Now, the word that's used in Scripture here when it says the Holy Spirit prays to God on our behalf is intercedes. He intercedes on our behalf. Just looking at this text, I can pick out two um, elements or aspects of the Holy Spirit that make the Holy Spirit ideally suited to pray to God the Father on our behalf. And the first one is this, is that the Holy Spirit searches my inner thoughts. He knows my inner thoughts and my inner being. And the Holy Spirit knows things about me that I might not even consciously be aware of. And secondly, the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God. So on the one hand, he knows my innermost thoughts and emotions and feelings. He knows what makes me tick, but he also knows the mind of God. And those two together make the Holy Spirit ideally suited to pray to God the Father on our behalf. Um, we also read verse 34, we read Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So we've got the Holy Spirit and Christ Jesus himself interceding for us. So though we are weak and we don't know what to pray, like I've said, that's not the end of the story. Fortunately, we've got God's Spirit and God's Son, Jesus, interceding on our behalf. And that is so encouraging. So I'm now really reaching the crux of this message. And in this central part of, of this message, I want to look at how does the Holy Spirit intercede or pray to God on our behalf. I want to look at some key aspects of how the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. And I've got three points here, like any good sermon, there are three points that I want to focus on here when we look at how does the Holy Spirit intercede on our behalf. And the first one is, we read in verse 27 that the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in accordance with the will of God. So in light of that, it's vital that when we pray, we pray according to the will of God. Now, you might say, well, Johannes, that's really difficult. How can I pray according to the will of God when I don't know what the will of God is? And here I want to just remind us and take us back to verse 26, where we read that um, we are weak and we do not know what to pray. So yes, on the one hand, we need to pray according to the will of God. But on the other hand, we are weak and we don't know what to pray. And we don't always from the outset know what the will of God is. But this is where things get really exciting. As we come to God in prayer with carrying worries, carrying anxiety, um, facing struggles with our hopes and dreams, we can come to God and we can say to him, God, I don't know what your will is in this situation, but I know that you know the answers. I don't know the answers, but Lord, you know the answers and your will be done. And that is just um, an incredible freedom to take our fears and our anxieties and our hopes and our dreams and to be able to lay those at God's feet and to say, God, I leave this in your hands. I'm not going to 
fret about this. I'm not going to hustle. Um, I'm going to leave this at your feet um, and your will be done. And that is such a freeing thing. And as we do this, what we find is that in God's mercy, at times, as we pray and we meditate on him, he does often reveal elements of his will for us in that situation. So we come to him in weakness without answers. And as we pray and meditate, God often, uh, by his Holy Spirit and in his grace and his mercy, reveals elements of his will for us in that situation. I remember a situation many years ago when I was making a career change and um, I was praying about two opportunities. On the one hand, I was considering maybe going into full-time ministry and I had an opportunity, a potential opportunity for full-time ministry. And on the other hand, I had uh, was considering also staying in um, what we call, well, let's call it secular work, um, terrible name, but, but staying in, in what we also call sometimes the marketplace um, in a job. And I also had a job offer. So I was wrestling and praying with God into these two uh, situations or these two opportunities and just asking God to reveal his will to me. And as I prayed, I um, sensed God dropping these words into my heart. This is my provision for you. And I sensed that he was saying to me that I should take um, the job offer um, and not go into full-time ministry. And I sensed him saying, this is my provision for you. And in hindsight, I can certainly testify to that. Um, that was an incredible six-year period that I was in that job and we moved to a new community and it was an incredible time and blessing in our life, but also a time where I believe that God used us a lot in that community and in that workplace. But at other times, um, God might not, as we pray, um, He might not reveal aspects of His specific will for you in situations. And in those situations, um, we need to then uh, rest in God when He doesn't reveal His specific uh, will for a situation. We need to rest in God and say, God, you know what is best for me. Uh, and I place this situation in your hands and I know that I'm safe in your hands. Not my will be done, but your will be done. Okay, so we have looked now at the first point at um, how um, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us uh, on our behalf to God the Father. And that is that um, he intercedes for us according to the will of God. I want to now look at the second point of how the Holy Spirit intercedes for us to God the Father and that is that he intercedes for us for our good. So we read um, in verse 28 of Romans chapter 8 and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. So for many of you this might very well be um, the verse in this in, in Romans 8 that you are most familiar with. It's the kind of verse that you might uh, see on fridge magnets or when you go to Kum Books, uh, you might see this verse on a pretty uh, beautifully decorated bookmark. Um, it's also a verse that when you're going through struggles uh, and, and anxieties and you're facing fear, it's a verse that your Christian friends might often um, remind you of. Um, it is a beautiful beautiful, beautiful promise um, that God has for us that he says 
all things work together for good for those who love him. What an what a absolutely beautiful promise. But at the same time, this is an often misunderstood and abused verse. So I want to have a look at what does it mean when God promises us that all things work together for good for those who love us. I believe that the answer to that question lies within this text and it's directly linked to the will of God. So all things working together for good is directly linked to God's will for our life. His will, not just for our life, but even more importantly, God's will for his eternal kingdom. And it's in that context that God says that all things work together for good for us. So the things of this earth, at the end of our life or at the end of this age, those things will all come to an end. And the majority of things from this earth, the earthly things, have no eternal significance. So the things that have true significance are the eternal things. So when we look at what does it mean that all things work together for good, um, a really good question to ask is what outcome in this situation will have eternal significance to the glory of God's name. And here, at this point, I want to remind us that God is a good heavenly Father. We read in verse 15 of this chapter, By Him we cry, Abba, Father. And Abba, Father is an intimate Aramaic word for, for the word Father, almost like the word Daddy that we use today. So we have a loving Father in heaven who wants the best for us. He wants what's truly good for us. He wants what's truly good for our eternal um, position to the glory of His name. He really wants what's good for us. Um, now, does this sometimes mean that God may allow suffering here on earth to bring about eternal good? The answer is yes, definitely. And we read a lot about that in Romans chapter 8. And shortly we're going to look at two portions of scripture in Romans chapter 8 that talk about suffering. The first one is in verse 17 of this chapter. We read now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So we read here in verse 17 that we are called to share in Christ's sufferings. Now, understanding that all things work together for good refers to our eternal good is really vital. Um, it's really vital to understand that at times God will allow us to suffer and in that suffering to either bring about eternal good for ourselves or for other people, for their eternal good. If our place, if we don't have a place in our theology for suffering that results in eternal good, um, when we face suffering, when we face hardship, it can leave us really in a place of despair and hopelessness and it can really shake um, the foundation of our faith. So we really need to have a place in our theology for suffering where we read in scripture that God 
often allows suffering to bring about eternal good to the glory of His name. Now, for many of us, either consciously or subconsciously, we have this conscious or subconscious belief that uh, God's purpose primarily in our life is to ensure that we have a comfortable life. We have made comfort an idol in our life. And um, while I'm not suggesting by any means that we must go out and look for hardship and look for suffering, I'm not by any means suggesting that. But what I am saying is that we need to have a place in our theology for suffering. Um, we read in verse 18 of this chapter, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And then from verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Understandably, when we face hardship or suffering, understandably, often our first prayer to God is, God, will you rescue me from this suffering? Will you take me out of this uh, suffering? Or if we are facing impending suffering, we will ask God that he spares us from that suffering. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and we can follow the example of Jesus. Uh, when Jesus was facing the cross, we read both in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke that he prayed to the Father, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So by all means, as we face suffering or hardship, by all means, as Jesus did, we can pray to God that he removes us and takes us out of that suffering or that we can bypass that suffering or hardship. But at the same time, we also need to pray, God, not, as my, not my will, but your will be done. And we also need to understand that there are times when God's will for us is to go through the suffering and to endure the suffering. And through that, God wants to bring about eternal good, eternal good for the glory of his name, for his kingdom. And what's good for his name and for his kingdom is good for us. I want to share with you a story about suffering, about believers who went through great suffering and seeing how God brought eternal good from that situation. Uh, when Ali and I, we met in a church in Zimbabwe and the pastor of that church was an amazing man of God. His name was Peter Griffiths, um, just an incredible godly man and, and had a really powerful gift for expositional preaching. Uh, Peter Griffiths, before he was the pastor of the church that Ali and I met in and where we fellowshiped together for a number of years, uh, he was a missionary. So Peter and his wife Brenda came from Wales. He's a Welshman and they came at that time to Rhodesia as missionaries. And they were stationed at a mission station uh, on the eastern part of Zimbabwe, close to uh, the Mozambican border in a rural area at a mission called Elam Mission. And during the war in uh, Rhodesia at that time, um, Peter and his wife Brenda um, took leave uh, from the mission station. And while they were on leave away from the mission station, 
there was an attack on the mission station. And in the attack, uh, a group of what white Rhodesians at the time would have called terrorists and what black Rhodesians would have called freedom fighters, um, in that attack, a group uh, of soldiers brutally uh, murdered all the missionaries on the mission station. They were all bludgeoned to death brutally, uh, women, men, children, even infants. It was a terrible, 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 unspeakable tragedy and, and act. And we can hardly imagine the pain. Uh, I mean, it's unthinkable what just the pain and suffering that Brenda and Peter went through with their dearest, dearest friends and colleagues being brutally murdered in this way. But from this situation, um, over the years, we can see how in ways God has brought incredible eternal good from this. So we saw firstly how from the missionaries' sacrifice, we can see that many, many children in that mission school came to faith. So we read in Romans, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. So those missionaries for God's kingdom, they faced death. And they were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But through their sacrifice, many, many, many of the pupils in that school became believers. And after the massacre, that school closed down and the pupils from that school were scattered to many other schools in that region. And where they went, they took the gospel with them. Even more than this, every single member of uh, every soldier within that unit um, that committed the massacre came to faith. Uh, and many of them in circumstances related to this incident. One of those soldiers, um, after they came to faith, he joined the church where Peter Griffiths was serving as lead elder. And um, he, in, in God's incredible grace and power, he served for a time as an elder alongside uh, Peter in that church. Um, and, and you can imagine that something like that can only happen by the power of God, that somebody who murdered your, brutally murdered your dearest, dearest friends and their children can serve as an elder alongside you in a church. Just a staggering um, work of God's grace. Um, so here we see a situation where incredible, incredible, unthinkable suffering led to eternal glory for God's name and a harvest for eternity. Now, I don't for a moment want to pretend that we can tie this up in a neat little bow, put it in a package and, you know, put it on a, on a nice little postcard. I mean, this, there's many elements of that that we wrestle with and that are so hard to understand. And uh, Peter passed away from cancer many years ago now, but his wife Brenda is still alive. And um, she says that um, she has forgiven the perpetrators, um, but that forgiveness even now, decades later, still costs her dearly every day. But nonetheless, we see through this great suffering a great harvest for the kingdom. Peter's uh, son, Stephen, who's now a missionary doctor, um, wrote uh, a biographical book uh, with all of this. In uh, It's called The Axe and the Tree. Um, if any of you want to, to read that incredibly powerful but, but difficult book. 
So moving on, I want to look now at the third point of how does the Holy Spirit intercede for us. We've looked at the first point, he intercedes for us according to God's will. We've looked at the second point, he intercedes for us uh, for our good. And the third point, he intercedes for us according to God's purpose. We find in the second half of verse 28, the text says, we are called according to God's purpose. So before we come to faith, before we um, become children of God, we live for our own purpose. We live according to our own desires and purposes. But when we come to faith and when we become God's children, then God calls us to lay aside our own will for our life and our own desires. God calls us to lay this aside and He calls us to join Him on His mission for His eternal purpose. He has created us to join with Him on mission. So as we pray, we need to pray according to God's purpose. Not just God's purpose for His eternal kingdom, but also for the part that He wants us to play in that bigger narrative of God's greater purpose. So as we pray and we ask God, we say to God, God, I want in this situation to pray according to your purpose for your kingdom and for my life. Often the Holy Spirit might reveal to you what is God's purpose for you in that situation. Often the Holy Spirit might reveal that to you. But as I've mentioned before, the Bible also is full of um, God's truth and His general purpose for us as God's children. So not just does God often reveal to us His purpose in the situation, but if we pray according to Scripture and if we read the Scriptures, through the Scriptures, God often reveals to us what is His purpose for us. As you know, Satan is the father of all lies and he is a liar. And Satan often fills our minds with lies. And one of the lies that Satan often puts into our minds is that God is a spoil sport. And God just wants to come and he wants to, he doesn't want us to have fun. He doesn't want us to have a good life. So he's just coming as a spoil sport trying to impose his will on you. And he doesn't want you to have any fun or pleasure in this life. Now I want to say categorically that that is a lie. These earthly desires we have that Satan puts in our minds, they do not satisfy. That is Satan's lie. God created us to live according to His will and His purposes. And as we do so, we find the deepest, greatest peace and fulfillment, even when His will sometimes includes suffering. So as we've read in verse 37, even through suffering, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Living according to God's will and purpose, as we do that, we will find our greatest satisfaction in joy as we live in that way. Um, I just want to share with you an analogy which I thought might be helpful when it comes to prayer. Often, when we come to God in prayer, we treat God like a jukebox. And our prayer is like a coin that we put into the jukebox. And as we put that coin into the jukebox, we choose the song that we want to listen to. And if God was to, wants to, was to answer, often God would say, as we choose that song, God would say, Johannes, I don't like that song at all. It's, it's not even a nice song. Um, or he might say, Johannes, that song's all right, but it's not the right song. 
for this room, for, for it's not the right song for now or for this audience. So when we come to God, rather than treating God like a jukebox where we put in the coin and we choose the song that we want to listen to, we should come to God like the conductor of an incredible orchestra. And we should come to God and say, God, what song do you want to play next? And what part do you want me to play in that song? And God might say to me, Johannes, um, I'm going to play Amazing Grace in the key of C. And Johannes, I have gifted you to play the flute. And as I lead this orchestra, as I play Amazing Grace in the key of C, I want you to play this part and this part and this part with your flute. And we play along with God as the conductor of the orchestra in the song that he is playing. That's a far better image of how we should come to God in prayer than the jukebox approach. If there's any of you today who are listening who don't know God and who are, do not follow God, you in all likelihood have never experienced the joy of coming to God in prayer. In all likelihood you've never experienced the peace that God gives you as we come to prayer, the purpose that He gives us and you in all likelihood, have never experienced the power of God in answering prayer. Miraculous power to answer prayer, even in what seem like impossible situations. And if that's you, I want to tell you today that there is a loving Heavenly Father who created the universe, who created the world, who created you. And He is waiting with His arms wide open, ready to receive you as His child. So if that's you today and this stirs anything in you, I really want to encourage you to respond to that prompting to come to the Father and to become His child. And we would love, if that's you, we would love it if you were to contact any one of us. You can contact the church office and they will refer to, you, to, to one of us, myself, Paul Bates, um, somebody in the church, Charmaine, Ali, um, and we would love to pray with you and we would love to start this journey with you. In closing, for those of us who are children of God and who are believers, um, you know many times prayer is a struggle for us. I acknowledged at the beginning uh, of this sermon that I don't consider myself the greatest prayer warrior and I acknowledge that sometimes prayer can be a bit of a struggle. Um, it's difficult sometimes to have the discipline, we can be distracted um, and sometimes it can feel like a burden and sometimes it can feel, we can feel guilty because we don't feel we don't pray enough. But I just want to remind us today and I can really share this from personal experience that there is an incredible joy and a power in coming before God in meditative prayer, in quality time with God in prayer, allowing time for the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and really seeking the will of God, really seeking the purpose of God and laying our fears and our burdens and our hopes at God's feet. There is such a power in that and it just can fill us with such incredible peace and joy and it can be so galvanizing. Those times God often speaks to us and it, He can really use those times powerfully in his life to minister to us and to give us clarity as to what role he wants to play, us to play in his big narrative and in his great purpose.
at the moment, if you are not spending regular quality time with God in prayer, I really want to encourage you this morning to make a decision. Make a decision to start a habit of praying regularly um, and spending quality time in prayer. Don't go crazy with starting with, I'm going to have a two-hour prayer session because uh, that's probably going to be uh, a bit demoralizing when you don't reach those targets. Maybe start just with smaller times. That can be five or 10 or 15 minutes to start with. But just make a decision today to start prioritizing time in prayer with God on a regular basis and you will be blessed. I am sure of that. So as we close now, in your groups, wherever you're meeting together, um, if, you've, if there's time, um, it'll be beautiful if just one or two people in your group can maybe share testimonies of times where they've faced great struggles um, or even great suffering, but where God has come through and where God has brought about eternal good uh, in those situations. Then as a group, I would like you to just close in prayer together and just ask God that he would just um, really stir in you a, an ever-increasing desire to want to be in prayer with him. We don't have to do all of this by our own strength because fortunately God's Holy Spirit is there to work in us, to empower us and to help us with these things. Thanks so much and uh, yeah, just pray for an amazing day for each one of you.